recording this on Christmas Eve, so I don't know if I had a wonderful day or not, but I assume that I did. In fact, if you're listening to this on post day, the 26th, my family were driving out to Utah to spend the week with in-laws and relatives. Salt Lake City are sort of a hub because that's basically where my wife and I grew up. So that's where we're going to be, hoping to meet up with some listeners while we're out there, some friends, everything like that. Now, let's get to this week's guest. He is power pop legend, Brad Elvis. So Brad's career goes back like 45 years. In the 70s, he was the drummer for a band called Screams. They came up through Chicago. He came up in the ranks with like the guys in Cheap Trick and that kind of thing. Screams only ever managed one album in 1979. It's great. They came to an end. That led to him forming the Elvis Brothers. They lasted about 15 years. They were sort of a part of that stray cat rockabilly style that was really big in the 80s. Uh, eventually, they came to an end. He started another band called Big Hello. Uh, they lasted a little while, put out two albums. The lead singer of Big Hello is now his wife, Chloe, and they have a new band called The Handcuffs. And uh, in fact, you're listening to a Handcuffs song called Everyone Waves Hello. This is on their last album, Waiting for the Robot. They're working on new material right now as well. Now, I consider Brad's day job, and he may disagree with me, but I consider his day job being the drummer for the Romantics. You guys know we love the Romantics around here. So he's been doing that for about 15 years. That's sort of his, you know, steady stream of income, so to speak. But the guy is a legend. He's been around forever. He's a lifer. He's always put out great music. All of these bands are worth your attention. And so I wanted to talk to him about it. Now, this was a listener request. BJ Cramp of the Rock and Roll podcast recommended Brad like a year ago. And it took me forever to track him down. Thankfully, I saw the Romantics in concert this summer with The Fix, and I sort of cornered Brad there, and he gave me his email address and found him on Facebook, that kind of thing. Anyway, luckily, it happened finally. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. He called me from his home in Chicago. So I had uh, John Pazbin on here from Off-Broadway and Pez Band. and um, uh-huh. I think that's probably where your name started coming up because I've noticed whenever I cover somebody from a certain, you know, there's a lot of people who love the music out of Cleveland or out of Philly or out of Chicago. And when those people hear people from that, they know from their town on this show, then they start, Ooh, you know who you should talk to is this guy or that guy. And that's where I think your name started coming up a lot. So I want to start with screams though. And, and the first question I have for you is that one of my listeners, BJ Cramp, who's also a huge fan of yours, told me that I have to ask you about the, the story behind the cover of the Screams album. I have uh, no idea what that is, but tell me what it is. Have you ever seen the album cover? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Maybe he knows the story. I don't know. Because um, otherwise, why would you ask? 
But I appreciate that someone someone is interested. Yeah, we recorded uh, the album in Sausalito at the record plant, mm-hmm. January of uh, most of January of 1979. And uh, while we were out there, uh, we were probably getting close to finishing up the record, but uh, they were going to shoot. Uh, oh, yeah, we're gonna. You know, we were young and all that, and we were like, okay, we're gonna shoot uh, some photos. I don't even know if we knew it was the album cover. I don't know. But, mm. And I was, and I'm the band leader. I was the band leader basically, and uh, uh, I didn't dictate to anyone, but uh, it was just the way it was. And so okay. uh, anyway, and uh, so I can't even remember. But I know we went out into the hills of uh, Sausalito out there. It was actually shot on the back of like a truck, like a pickup truck or something, mm. or something. We sat in the back of that, and then with the hill things in the background. And the guys had the guy had an idea. He explained to us, and it sounded good to us. Um, yeah, a picture like uh, with this kind of chiffon, kind of weird material, but it'll come off almost kind of more like uh, uh, we were thinking more like you know like the Boomtown Raps first album. Uh-huh. We call that. And he was saying, you know, screams, and it'll have this intense thing, because it'll almost be like this covered muscle, uh, little suffocating, intense kind of thing. Literally intense, like a circus. No, right. but intense. Like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. We're into, we're into the Boomtown Rats, and we started out in the punk thing, and we had kind uh-huh. of grown out of it a little bit, even though we had it still in ourselves personally. But uh, anyway, yes, yeah, so we did that, and... Then we got the photos, and then they took the, they showed us the photos, and we were like, yeah, these are cool. How about yeah, this, we we picked this one. We know we actually like yeah, this this one looks good. It's kind of cool looking and stuff, and it worked out. And then a few weeks later, and this uh, goes by, and then uh, when it's getting close time to put the album cover together. And this is back in the very tail end of when labels just had money to blow and mm-hmm. and, just, and money for blow and, and money for yeah. blows that Fleetwood Mac money you know everybody has to have their own limo and everybody has tour support and just whatever it's just dumb yeah. dumb money back then so we were on the tail end of that so they go well they can't they somehow goofed up and they don't know which photo you guys picked out. So we, they flew us all to New York City, uh, to the MCA building, and uh, we go in there, and we, we basically, I remember, we basically went in there and went up and looked at it, and it was that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? They flew you, you know? out to do that. Yes. And the whole band. <laughs> right. The whole band. All you four know? of you needed to just point. Yeah. Yes, that's it. And I was like, okay. it's this one. Is this one right here? We were like, I remember it was like in the art department or something, and they had stuff tacked up on the walls. And, okay. And, uh, and it was probably, it wasn't exactly the MCA department. I don't know where we went. There was an art department of sorts, and I, for some reason, I always remember um, the Rolling Stones Shattered, the song Shattered. Oh. They had that, I think, as a single. Okay. And their picture, they had a picture sleeve. The photo of that, and or artwork of that, was pinned up along with all this other crap over this guy's desk. So I I said, that's kind of cool. So anyway, so we picked it out, and then uh, we we flew back home to Champaign, Illinois. Mm -hmm. This album comes out, and it's like, that's not the picture we picked out. (laughs) We look like burn victims or something. 
I keep we thinking did. you look, look like you're in a cocoon or like a butterfly larvae or something. Yeah, we all are like the, you, know? So, you know, we were good, we were good looking young boys or young men, and uh, we, we're all distorted looking, and we look like uh, candles that melted or something, and uh, yeah, and then. Then there's a little photo on the back. It looks, it's just normal. It looks great. You know, we look like Badfinger or something. I don't uh-huh. know. But, uh, so I was like, oh, God, so, you know, and so now, you know, a thousand years later, until eternity, we have to live with that album cover, you know. So, uh, right. Oh, the, after, uh, after all that, flying us out there. And, yeah, it's this one. Oh, okay, okay, right, great. Wow. We goofed up again. We can't afford to fly him back out. So, yeah, good point again and correct it. Do you, um, I mean, I think it's really interesting when, you know, you guys are young. This is really your first big break. Do you have any concept of how many copies Screams even sold? I have no idea. I really no. don't. Okay. But I know that uh, that came out in 70, like spring of, spring of 79, and uh, my uh-huh. first band, my first show ever, my first gig ever in, a, in my first band was uh, nine years earlier, so. Oh, Wow, you're a lifer. You've been at this for a while. Yeah. Okay. Well, I actually I, have a uh, a uh, a book, two of them actually at this point. That my my I, I played a couple shows, you know, at high school dances and things back when they had those sort of things. Uh-huh. And, uh, that's back in the 1900s. Oh man. But yeah. uh, it was like some uh, hardback, like accountant book or something. Uh, a file book. And she goes, you want this? And I go, okay. And then I was like, oh, what can I do with this? Oh, God, I played like two gigs. I should write my gigs in these things. Anyway, I've kept up every gig I've ever played in my entire life. In I read that somewhere. Book, I yeah. read that. And I think you uh-huh. jot down how much you get paid for each gig, too, right? Yeah, it's, it's like uh, the date and uh, what town, what state, what country, whatever, you know, yeah. later on. And then uh, the name of the venue and uh, the name of the band, of course, mm-hmm. and then I even had like a a good show, or a fair show, a bad show. Oh, encore, you give it a rating? Extra good show, yeah. And then I had how much the band made, you know, uh, wow. all of, all in one line, all the way across. Anyway, I'm like a halfway through the second book at this point, but it's like four thousand three hundred yeah. or something at this point. Yeah, that's what I read. Now, off the top and, of your head, and every and every gig was great. No, really? <laughs> yeah, right. I bet. Um, can you, off the top of your head, remember what the one you got the biggest paycheck for was? I mean, band-wise. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably probably an Elvis Brother show, but okay. I'm thinking, yeah, we did. Yeah. And ironically, yeah, it was it was after record deals and all that stuff. It was back in our little resurgence we had in the mm. early mid '90s. Really? So we, okay. We split up. We split up like in '96, but uh, um, there was one show we got. I was like, "Oh, good, you know. Well, here's yeah. your third. Here's your third, you know." Wow. But, uh, okay. All right. Um, so let's. So screams. Now there's been, um, you know, Infinity Records came in with a lot of high ideals, signing a, you know, throwing a lot of money around, and you guys got screwed basically when they went out of business. I don't really know. What kind of momentum the album had prior to any of that? Do you think had had Infinity stuck around, would Screams have been able to keep at it and keep doing albums, or were you guys already sort of 
was the writing on the wall that maybe it wasn't happening or the band? No, no, actually, uh, no, you know, they didn't sign that many people really, which was cool. It was like, oh, we're only going to sign a certain, and uh, who all the, I'm trying to think of the rock bands they signed. Some band, a band called New England. Yeah, they've Stanley been on this show. Yep. And um, we actually did a show with them and at the Tower Theater in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And we did quite well. So I I, uh, Hirsch Gardner, their drummer, has been on here. And uh, who? What, uh, a band called... Uh, oh, God, I can't remember them all. I'd have to think about it a little more. I but think there Orleans that many. was on there back then. I've had really? one okay. on there, too. Yeah, I think Solomon I think Burke. Spirogyra. Yeah, Spirogyra. Oh, I know. Uh, some band called TKO. Yes. That's what I'm seeing and then, on, on uh, Wikipedia. And then there was a guy, a kind of a Moon Martin kind of a guy. What was his name? Oh, Robert Johnson. Yeah, Robert A. He, Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, other than that, I can't. Oh, I think, oh, Hot Chocolate. Every oh, were winner. they in there? Oh, really? Yep. Okay. But not very many. So anyway, yeah. we did... I gotta say, we probably did better than the actual rock, other, the TKOs. I guess New England, they probably did okay. But, uh, we, we did the, the Van Halen tour, which was a yeah. good thing for about, sure. for about four months, four months straight to the very end. And, uh, with the LA Forum and gosh, every show was sold out and they liked yeah. us a lot. And, good. And then we went to England on our own, our own tour mm-hmm. and, uh, headlining tour and we were, Doing, we were on Old Great Whistle Pest and all that, and we did well. We were doing really well, getting good reviews. And while we were there, that's when the label, November mm-hmm. of 79, uh, uh, we got the word that Infinity is going to be dropped from MCA and all this stuff. And so they really liked us. They were all behind us, and, uh, and uh, we were doing well. And then it wasn't until many years later I talked to our manager, and he said, no, 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 we we were going to do it because it just threw us in for a loop, you know. One, uh-huh. in, within one year, you know, we recorded an album. You know, you always want to record an album and be a rock band and live the dream. And they were all in us in these big halls and uh, road crew, tour bus, going to England on our own. And, uh, and by the end of the year, tour of our own in England, you know. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then it's like literally within like, it's like, Within days, while we're touring over there, they go, uh, uh, Infinity's no more, MCA dropping. In fact, all the, label, all the labels all over were doing that. It was like, yeah. it was like a big deal, like a Rolling Stone. Everybody's like, we can't continue this. This is nuts. Yeah. <clears throat> so. How did you feel? I we mean, were part of that. Were... So we were like back at home, you know. In fact, the Infinity, they're like, well, there's no, there's no money. There's no more Infinity. Yeah. So we can't even afford to fly you guys back. And our what? manager had like our manager had to like go to the infinity people that were left over there who loved us in England and like beg them and then they had to beg like MCA you gotta give these guys money to fly home and everything. Oh, and, I mean we flew home and we're just sitting in Champagne and I'm like going well now what yeah you know, that was fun and uh, you must have I mean can you. Paint a picture for how you kind of felt emotionally. That's got to be, you were just saying that you had started in 1970. This is nine years of grinding it out. And I have a feeling this is a, this is a feeling you would get used to, unfortunately. But at that moment, when you realize that this scream thing is over, how do you feel? Do you have to get up the next day and go get a new job? What do you do? 
Yeah, and I never had a straight job, but my entire life really? all I've ever done is played music, so I've been lucky and fortunate. And I, not, I didn't work at it, and I survived, sure. and I kept living my dream, you know, whatever. But yeah, well, well, nine years, that's from very start oh, okay. beginnings of bands and, and then okay. playing clubs, and and uh, I didn't really have that many bands, really, so it worked, you know, with each band I had and put together kind of stayed together and we started okay. playing clubs and we survived but anyway so and screams we'd only been together two years before we got signed so that wasn't too bad so anyway you know you always or at least we did back in the day back when they had record deals and you could have things like that you could that was your whole dream oh i want to be yeah. the rock star i want to be like these guys and the, right. i want to i want to play in front of a bunch of people and lights yeah and, all that kind of stuff. So we had this dream, and it actually came true our first for the first time. And uh, yeah, and we were right in the middle. It wasn't even like a well, the record is not doing well. Well, I don't know. It wasn't yeah. like even a slow decline. It was like hey, yeah, we're playing the marquee, and next right. week we're playing at the you know, and we're in England, and it was like oh, uh, by the way, in two days you're going home. You don't have a record deal anymore. And uh, it was like wow. I pulled the <laughs> so it was you know, and once again. Uh, we're all barely young, and uh, yeah, this is kind of like uh, now. What do we do? Yeah, so yeah, it was I don't more of know. that. It's more of a scramble, more than yeah. I don't, I know we, I don't even know if we had time to be bummed out. You know, I don't you know, even know that. Then we had to been... start going back to playing clubs to people who never heard of us. Okay, and... so is that what it was? So then you're going back to you're in Illinois and you're playing in clubs again, and but you had to. I'm guessing they wouldn't have signed you if you hadn't had sort of a groundswell of local interest, at least, right? Or did you go back to L.A. and start gigging around L.A.? What'd you do? Well, I never was in L.A. except to play there. Oh, but... okay. I wondered if maybe when they signed no. you, they moved you out. Okay. No, nah, they don't really do that. You just get, you know, Cheap Trip okay. still lives in Rockford, you know. Sure. Rockford. Sure. And uh, we just stayed in Champaign. And the reason I moved the band to Champagne and changed the name to Screams and we set our focus uh, was because Champagne was a, a good music town. It was a, a big, you know, university college town and uh, and a lot of musicians had come out of there and some stack, some success in that and uh, and it wasn't super far from where we grew up, an hour and a half, two hours away. So okay. So we just stayed there, and uh, you know, over the years, and the Elvis Brothers came out of there, and a lot of other bands, Champagne, yeah. and Audio. Okay. And... I, now I would have—I I don't even know what were what was the single off that Screams album. What did you get to hear yourself on the radio? Yeah, we heard ourselves a couple times, and uh, they played us for something, and we weren't like you know in the charts and on the top forty uh, rotation uh -huh. or anything, but we actually heard our. It played us for some reason on WLS a time or two, mm. and I heard that. And then someone said they swear they they positive they we were on a Raider record on American Bandstand one time. Oh, huh. and uh, how they used to do that, and uh, I was probably okay. like the record record label promoting us somehow. And uh, okay, um, but I want to I want to play a little bit of it. What was even the single? My favorite song off the album. Oh, okay.
What was the uh, single off that album? Um, well, typical uh, record label stuff, and screams, and my experience with screams and Elvis Brothers and on. But uh, they just they bing boom bing boom. It was just like you know, just all over the place. But uh, there's a 12 inch. It first came out. It had uh, paper dowels, and then the other side was. I think I play for you, like a okay, okay, ballady song. Uh, yeah, and um, that's a good song. But forty-five wise, there was "Imagine Me Without You," and uh, which is a big power pop favorite. an evil word. No, right. I'm, not, I'm not a fan of all that, but uh, it's a long story. But uh, okay. so imagine me without you, and then also I play for you, the ballad, the power ballad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, okay, I have no idea how they went. And then in England, they had uh, Imagine Me Without You and Paper Dolls was the okay. other single, which they had great picture sleeves over there. For oh, paper really? dolls, and then they had a really good picture sleeve for Imagine Me Without You. It was like kind of unique kind of stuff. Good. Pop up okay. on eBay and all that. So. Right. Okay. I was just curious what you would have heard on the radio. So when Screams comes to an end, you know, even th- this is something I'm kind of curious about. When, you know, the band technically ends because the label um, support goes away, and you guys start playing club shows around Champagne again. Why do you guys not stick it out? Or do you for a while and then you break up and then you go start Elvis Brothers with a couple other guys? What? How does the transition from Screams to Elvis Brothers happen? Well, Screams playing clubs, and we did that for another year. And we made some demos and things, and they were great. We had we were a really good band, and we had really, yeah. good, we had really cool songs. I mean, that first uh, album, the Screams album, was basically kind of one of our first batch of songs we ever wrote. Mm. And by the time the album came out and by the end of 1979, we had a crap load more uh, songs and this and that. And then another year, we survived uh, playing clubs. By the time we broke up, I think we had like, you know, 60 or 70 extra songs, originals. Oh, wow. Are those ever going to see the light of day? 
Oh, gosh, maybe someday. I just have so much on my plate right now. And then the Elvis Brothers, the same thing. We have, I think, all three of us. Well, everybody in Screams wrote songs. And then Elvis Brothers, same way. I've always been fortunate to be around a lot of, been in band, even before Screams, been in bands with people who wrote really good songs. And I'm fortunate to be around good songwriters my whole yeah. life, basically. Yeah. And, uh, and I wrote songs. So, I wrote that. so anyway, that, that was a good uh, upbringing. But uh, Elvis Brothers, same way. There's probably, I think I figured out one time between the three of us, all three had different, we all kind of wrote our own songs. But we had, I think we got, you know, like five or six albums of stuff laying around. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Someday there's got to be a box set or something. That'd be huge. Yeah, or maybe a bag. Yeah, a bag. Right. A bag set. About. No, uh, so uh, screams. Yeah, well, we we did that. We played through, and and then uh, toward the very end of screams, the last six months, my old school chum and early bandmate in the days was Graham from the Elvis Brothers. He uh, we got him into screams, and that happens sometimes. I think that I've learned that you know you just go on and you start questioning, you know, and we tried to get. You know, we tried to seek out other record deals and things, but it's it's hard. Uh, record label back in the day, I don't even know what they do nowadays, but back then, you know, it was like, well, they got dropped, so, you know, why would we want them? Yeah. You know? He's like, yeah, but we're just as good, if not better, and we got these great songs, and, you know, like, eh, I don't know. So, anyway, that happens a lot. So, that, maybe that's what happened to us. I don't know. That was New Year's Eve, 80. We we decided that was going to be our last gig, and we did that. Okay. And then, so now it's 1981, and I took a little bit of a break for a little bit, and I just, so I just didn't jump into one girlfriend to another, <laughs> <laughs> one relationship to another. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because like, at this point, I've been playing in bands for 10 years my entire life, nonstop, you know. Yeah. It's like... I just need to clear my head up just for a little bit and maybe work on songs and things and I'll play a gig somewhere. And then that didn't take long and I threw a band together, started a band. Graham was in town. He had moved to Champaign. He was playing with someone that had a record out. Actually, the guy who wrote I Play For You, only not Green's original on there. And he was from the the town that we grew up together in, and we were in a band earlier, one of those good songwriters I was telling you about early on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was on Emperor for an album that went immediately to the cutout bins. Oh. But Graham was playing with him a little bit. Rob had been in a band called Cold Kitchen out of Champagne, who were on Full Moon Epic for one album in 1977 or 78. Right. Yeah, so we all had this past at this point, and uh, well, Graham hadn't been signed. Oh, I know. Well, Graham... Uh, he had been in the, he was in the Jets, a power, a power pop, another one of those, uh, had a 45 called Lover Boy, mm. and the B-side was Paper Girl on Twin Tone, and it was really, they're really good songs. So he was in that band, and, uh, uh, so the three of us were just doing our thing, and at some point, Graham had this idea, I think I had the first, Cats. I collect records and things. So mm-hmm. early on, like right out of the gate, 
hey, check out this band from England called Stray Cats. It was their, yeah. in, their first album on the import album, Stray. It was that first one. It was awesome. Produced by Dave Edmonds. Yep. And we'd never heard anything like that before. Uh, uh, Runaway Boys. It's kind of heavy. And we're like, wow, this is really cool. So Graham was all into that. And at some point, he's like, hey, let's start a rockabilly band. And just for the fun of it, I know we're all doing our own thing. It'd just be kind of fun to play some old rock and roll songs. And yeah. So I won't go into the whole giant story unless you want it. But that came together okay. quickly just for fun. And our first show was September 11th, just at this little tiny bar that became the home of the Elvis Brothers. It was, so, it was so charming and fun and pure rock and roll and right. our three personalities, and it just like took okay. off like wild wildfire. So, uh, and it, did and, the uh, people who signed you to when you when they start when Elvis Brothers started to take off, and you get signed then, are you starting to think, well, how about this? I got a second chance. You know, we can maybe this will happen this time. Um, you know, are you cautious? Can, How are you feeling? Well, you know, uh, well, September 11, 1981 was our first show, and it, it took off so fast. Mm, really? Brothers. I mean, like a rocket, like a freaking rocket. It just, like, even our first show, we got like two encores. <laughs> We're like, whoa, oh, nice. this is like nuts. And Graham and Rob, they sang like the Everly Brothers, and, you know, those three young, good-looking fellows and uh, good players. And we were funny, and we were just making fun of it and goofing around at the same time. That's right. And even the name, we said, well, if we were going to be serious, we would have never named it the Elvis Brothers. <laughs> we were just going to play around town, you know. And, yeah. And uh, and the only reason we call it the Elvis Brothers is because Rob and Graham, they sang a lot like the Everly Brothers together, the two of them. So that was a plus. Then, literally the night before our goofy little gig on a Tuesday night at this tiny little teensy bar that no one even had rock bands play, but Rob do the guy. Uh, yeah, and we we're just going to go over there and play. We were still trying to figure out a name. We we had played somewhere on Sunday as a, like, Phil jumped in on a couple songs with a, a local band at this other bar to try to get a gig there. Right. And, uh, of course, the guy wasn't there to see us, but... Uh, we call ourselves something a uh, different goofy name, and then Monday we're like, yeah, that name kind of sucks. We got to come up with a name. I don't know. Maybe we'll go with that because our gig was the next night, so we were doing one last little quick rehearsal. And uh, while we're sitting there, I, I said, that's so cool because we always tried to, you know, all of our bands. We grew up, you know, loving the Beatles and trying to do Beatle vocals. And I said, but this is so unique and so cool. So it's more like the Everly Brothers. And yeah. then Rob looks at our set list that we had, which was pretty much all cover songs, except for maybe one or two originals we threw in that fit with it. We had about a dozen Elvis songs, early Elvis songs, and then we had about two or three Everly Brothers songs, and he goes, Everly Brothers? More like Elvis Brothers. Oh, we got so many. We, we don't. We don't even have any Everly, hardly any Everly Brothers songs in the three sets that we put together. We got like a million Elvis songs. He, he took us Everly Brothers, more like Elvis Brothers. And we were like, ah, we thought that we were like on the floor, like rolling. We just thought it was the funniest thing. We said, God, it's something Elvis Brothers. Okay, that is so funny. And then so that we just did it because it was just kind of goofy and it was yeah. fun. And, yeah. And we would on stage. We would yeah, thank you very much. You know. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of things to play off of. Sure. Okay. We were, did the whole. What is the second, third person thing? Yeah, we're the Elvis Brothers. 
Yeah, those Elvis brothers, you know, they got a lot of money, you know. <laughs> I think it was my baby, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. People just got into it and thought it was okay. funny. And so anyway, that's how the name came about. And then about a couple of weeks later, we were on stage, and uh, Graham, he goes, oh, by the way, yeah, we're the Elvis brothers. I'm Graham Walker. Uh, this is Rob Newhouse over here on guitar. And back here we have, and then... While he's saying that, I'm thinking, because I'm just goofy, as you can already tell, but uh, I'm thinking, I'm going to say some funny name like Brad Presley or something. Uh, How about Brad Elvis? That sounds funny. He goes, and back here, and I go, Brad Elvis. And (laughs) Graham's eyes eyes light up. He goes, I'm Graham Elvis. This is Rob Elvis, and that's Brad Elvis. We're the Elvis brothers. No way. And then uh, it would just stuck. I was was like, Brad Elvis, you know. And it just kind of took off, and uh, here it is, you know, 2017. Yeah. Goodness, and you still answer by it. That's crazy. Well, um, at one point, I I tried to get away from it. And I go, no, no, man. <laughs> Everywhere I went, no, no, man, you're Brad Oves. Everybody yeah. knows just Brad Oves. Everybody knows that name. That's a good rock and roll name. Like, okay. Right. But yeah. um, so just real quick, uh, we started September 11th, 1981, and by December... And we were just hoping to get some gigs where we could make 20 bucks a piece some night. By December, we played 28 shows. Like wow. the first show just took off. Second show, twice as many people. And we started, the phone started ringing off the hook. Who's this Elvis? I keep hearing about this Elvis Brothers band. And so you can imagine by the end of September, October and November, we're getting booked like crazy. By December, I literally have it in my book. It's like 28 nights. We played. Wow. And we actually, and we were just splitting money. Like, oh, we get 200 bucks on a Tuesday night. We're getting 300 bucks over and blah, blah, blah. On Wednesday nights, Thursday, we get 50 bucks a piece. On Friday and Saturday, we get about 200 bucks a piece. We were like, holy crap, we're making all this money. We're just like, here's yours, here's yours, here's yours. Yeah. Graham and I and our wives at the the time, we, uh, uh, at the end of December, we, we actually took a, like a two-week vacation, went out to L.A., and we were just buying clothes and fucking uh-huh. hanging out. <laughs> Sorry, it's uh, F-bomb there, but um, oh, we were just okay. going crazy. Well, okay, thanks. And uh, yeah. we were just going crazy. We've never been in <laughs> bands that had money, you know. Sure. It was like, this is great. So, uh, yeah, so we were just like, hey, it's goofy. We're kind of making fun of it, and we got this funny name, the Elvis Brothers. But we know we're really good, and we can really burn on these songs. And we kind of started working on just throwing originals in. Hey, I got the song; it'll fit with what we're doing. And, and uh, so, to answer your question, we kind of like knew, like I said, you know, by December, yeah, within a few months, we we're like, "Wow, we got something going on in here." Yeah. And I, okay. And the band that I had started already, uh, he came to see us. He told me a couple of years ago and he unfortunately sadly passed away within the last year. But, oh, no. uh, yeah, we talked all the time and stuff and he loved screams and we had started a band together and but we had that going. And he said, <laughs> he told me a couple of years ago, he says, yeah, I remember uh, coming to see uh, Elvis brother, that first show over there at Chico's, that goofy little tiny bar. And he goes, he goes, he goes within like the, after the first set, I remember thinking, Oh, Oh, <laughs> really? They got some. There's something going oh, on here. Oh man! And I go, really? Yeah. He goes, I just was like, 
oh man, there goes our band. <laughs> oh no! And, was, and within like three or four months, we got so busy. I was like, we all just kind of like, I, just carry right. on. Go get a different drummer and just whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. I don't remember the Elvis Brothers from when you were actually a thing. So, and I would have been about ten in 1983. I know. Me too. <laughs> I started young. Yeah. Hanson wanted me to be in their band back in the day. <laughs> actually, Menudo. For Hanson. Yes, Menudo. There you go. And um, we used to tell people, they go, how come you call yourself the Elvis Brothers? And we used to say, because Menudo was already taken. <laughs> Excellent. Um, now, I know there was a video for Fire in the City. I think that yeah. might be the only, again, going back to, like, what was the single, what were you, this was the glory days of MTV, is that the only video that was official, you know, professionally produced video that was made for the Elvis Brothers? Because I wasn't, I didn't see it, so I'm trying to gauge, like, how big did it get? Was it just a champagne thing? Was it global? You know, were you getting videos played on the, uh, did you see yourself on MTV? All that oh. kind of stuff. Yeah, I actually, uh, we were played so much, but, uh, I'm still like, God, how was I even home enough? It must have got quite a bit of airplay, because I remember catching it a number of times on MTV. We, okay. We were in at least medium, medium airplay, which was quite a bit. It was, you know, light, medium, heavy. Yeah. And, uh, I actually caught it a few times. You don't hit the record button on my beta. No. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we did that, and you know you can find it on YouTube. And uh, oh yeah, I've and and um, then we did three. That was the only one of that period. And then later, our third album, which was an indie thing, but a really uh, good album. And uh, we did three videos for that. Those are um, uh, okay. on that too. So. Okay, sure. Yeah, I just wondered from back in the day. So was was Fire in the City the big first single, and that was the one you know the label sent out the radio and. I don't know. Did you ever go on like Solid Gold or American Bandstand or anything? No. Like that show? Sadly, no. We did some good tours. Yeah, but they, and like we were in a lot of mags, like rock mags okay. or teen, teen mags yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And then we had the video. We did you tour, tour with um, Stray Cats or ever cross paths with them? Oh, no, no, no. 
Actually, oh. a promoter tried to put us with them early on before we were signed, but we already had a pretty big buzz and people had heard of us, at least Midwest or somewhere. And there wasn't a lot of rockabilly bands at the time, but yeah. apparently they'd heard of us and they didn't want us open for us. For them. Like, that's what he told us. Huh. And he really, he really wanted us to, because he said, man, you guys will smoke them. You guys are the best band. It's awesome. And he was saying, nope. They said they wanted a band like a, a rock and Billy band. So the next one, Adventure Time, Adrian Ballou produces this, correct? And it sounds a little different. It's a little more 80s glossy, which I like because I grew up in the 80s and I like that sound. Were mm-hmm. purists of the Elvis Brothers, were they put off by that sound? Were you okay with it? Yeah, I don't think people minded too much. I mean... We had kind of, by the time we did it, recorded our first album, you know, like I said, we started off doing just cover songs, old rock and roll cover songs, mm-hmm. fun stuff, you know, weird, like being a record collector, weird 45s and weird B-sides and all that kind of fun stuff. We didn't really do the obvious, too much of the obvious stuff. And then we wrote some songs that fit in with that stuff, okay. really kind of stuff. But as time went on, we kind of already <laughs> By you know, so that was eighty one. So a year later, September eighty two, we were kind of seeing it not really going anywhere. Uh, oh. Even even like the straight cast thing or something. I mean, did they did their thing? It was kind of like yeah, rock this town and whatever. Then all of a sudden it was like, you know, and, I, yeah. and we we're like, yeah, maybe we should uh, kind of move on to something else and just kind of do what we're. We always did, and it's kind of rock, rock, rock pop type songs. And okay. So we tried to, we shed that already. No one, you know, a year or so later, no one needed a, another rockabilly band. But, yeah. and I, but in some ways, I think that's why we got signed. I think uh, CBS guys, Portrait, saw us as, oh, they're, they're, because that's what labels do, you know. Sure. These guys are popular right now, so let's sign this, have our version of the Stray Cats or whatever. Yeah. And they liked us a lot, and they, when they saw us, you know, we were probably doing some of those covers and the rockabilly kind of originals that we had mixed with our hook pop-type songs and that. So I think that mm-hmm. they liked that, and yeah, yeah, that's cool. So by the time we recorded the album, we, okay, here's the songs we're going to do, and it's like, yeah, we don't want to do rock and Crazy, and we don't want to do I Think I'll Pick a Rose, and and we had a bunch of, a little Luann, and... A bunch of these originals that we've been doing, so we didn't do those on the record, and we went more for. We had a couple. We did Long Gone and. Well, you give me trouble, that's all you do. I don't know why I considered you. With her social scene, yeah, it's hard to believe she'd be so mean. 
full scoop straight ahead with kind of pop up belly. Yeah, right. We kind of called it, and uh, but then we had moving up and hidden in a heartbeat, and yeah. here we go again. Those have nothing to do with rockabilly stuff. Yeah, you know, oh, so. I know. We were a trio. We kind of had the look. I got away from the. Uh, I mean, even before we were signed, I was like, I'm not going to have my. I had you know early on, I had my hair up rockabilly style and all that stuff, and then. One day I was like, I'm just gonna make my hair all all spiky and stick out weird and crazy, and which was influenced by a uh, Terry, I think his name was from Fun Boy Three. Yeah, yeah, was, Terry Hall. In, yeah, his hair and Fun Boy Three. Oh, his hair. And at the time, I was like a little different and crazy looking. I go, oh, I'm gonna cut my hair like that and go go to the next gig, and, and so we were starting to move away from it a little bit. Okay, okay. we still got put. We still got put in that category. Oh, rockabilly band! I was like, well, not really, not so much anymore. <laughs> How did Adrian Ballou come to produce the second album? Because I don't know that he did a lot of. I don't know of too many other production jobs that he did. But he's, I, and maybe he wasn't the legend that he might be considered now. But you had to be a little starstruck having somebody who worked so closely with. I'm not a Zappa fan, but Zappa and Bowie, who's my all-time favorite, mm-hmm. that had yeah. to kind of blow your mind that he's now giving you his full attention. No. <laughs> oh, really? You weren't because we, anything to you. Well, here's the funny thing is, <laughs> no, the funny thing is that he had, he had moved to Springfield, Illinois, from Cincinnati or Kentucky, wherever he lived. Uh-huh. And he had already done, and so he was living in Springfield, Illinois, and had some band together. And I remember going to Mabel's, this club, in Champaign, which was a well-known kind of legendary rock and roll club. And that was early on. Mabel's had only been together around about a, gosh, barely a year. And it went all through the 90s, 80s and 90s. Like, everybody on the planet played there at that point later on. But early on, Screams and two other bands were the only bands that had played there early on. And then we started seeing these posters, hey, uh, or little flyers, Adrian Blue, guitar player for Frank Zappa and David Bowie, is going to be playing here. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he lives in Springfield. I'm like, what? Who's this guy? And we hadn't really heard of him. So we went to see him, and there's, you know, 25 people there. And, wow, this is great. We're just kind of watching Adrian do a lot of his first album kind of stuff. And his, he didn't even have an album out yet. And um, they did a couple sets, and uh had all these great songs. And... uh so we used to go see each time it would build, then there would be 35 people there. Then there would be, so it was like early on, and we were like pals with him, and, and then the Elvis Brothers started, and then the, by then he had moved to Champagne, and he used to come see his play all the time. He was, man, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. You guys are just incredible. And like when uh, he'd have anybody come in town to play on recordings with him, he'd bring them out to see it. Like he brought Robert Fripp to see us. And, uh, oh. Wow. And okay. uh, who else? Uh, oh, uh, who's that? Larry London, the drummer he had on the first album. Okay. Like, or the second album, maybe. So anyway, that know. sort of thing. So we, we were just like pals with, well, Larry and Larry London, uh, he had played with Elvis, like in the summer. Okay. So anyway, we were friends with him, and there were people, so we did our first album. We had asked uh, Nick Lowe or... David and both of them and we had done some dates with Nick Lowe as well and he really liked us a lot but he said I love you guys you're great I'd love to work with you but 
I'm booked for like the next year, you know, that was the heyday of Nick Lowe, you know. So this and that, we were thinking about this person and that person, and then Adrian came up. Adrian uh, was always like, oh, man, if I had a chance to record you guys, I'd know exactly how you should sound. You guys got this great sound. And, and um, so. Well, great. Okay. Yeah. I got to tell you, um, I think Count to Three is the only solo writing credit you have on that album. That might be my favorite song on the album. Oh, thanks. Actually, there's yeah. one other one on there, too. Is there? Big okay. Ideas Big ideas finishes off the album. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's right. Probably the most upbeat rock and song on there, probably. Yeah.
I like both albums a lot. I might like Adventure Time a little bit more just because I like 80s production because that's when I grew up. You know what I mean? But they both yeah. are just so strong. I love it. Um, now, you had mentioned that they that you guys never broke up, but a third album didn't come for like seven or eight more years. Are you just back to the drawing board of sort of, you know, gigging around Champagne or doing little tours? You mentioned not ever having to do anything outside of music to pay your bills. What do you do during that long stretch? Um, just find girlfriends to live with. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, after the record deal... Oh, uh, and real quick, Adrian, he recorded... And we were like we were like really good friends with Adrian. We were just always goofing around and just having fun and stuff. We finished recording that. And then he went off to mix it at the record plant in L.A. And then we went out there and listened to it. And we're like, uh, it, to us, it sounded like demos or something. And this was in the era, this is the era now, 84, 85, 84, of Power Station and all that right. kind of big, big production stuff. The new wavy 80s stuff was over. This is Now it's big production and we're like, Wow, we're never gonna. That's not gonna get played on the radio. We're gonna lose our record deal. We do the business at this point, but uh, but we were just like, yeah. So anyway, um, there was a bit of tug and pull, and then our manager was Cheap Tricks manager, so we got uh George Tutko to come in to re-engineer it, produce it, or whatever, and also John Boylan who had done like a ton of stuff. Okay. So we kind of, the album was actually, the reason it might sound like an 80s production, so we really had to bump it up and fix it with like these kind of demo-y sounding sounds. So it was like very kind of thin and just kind of basic and not a lot to it. And they were like, wow, these drums are, wow, listen to the speaker or something. Wow, what kind of symbol did you use on that? And like, well, he made him use a, sim- a smaller symbol. He goes, wow, you can hardly use it. It was like all this stuff. So they had to enhance a bunch of stuff with all this big stuff. And if you listen to uh, Iko Shinoda, that song on there, um, uh, um, uh, it was about a Japanese band that wrote Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I didn't understand what you said. Yes. Yes, yes. In between Adrian and us trying to find someone to fix this record, Graham had written that song. John Boylan, we played it for him. He loved it. We went and recorded that straight over at the... By now, we're mixing at Cherokee, but we went to the record plant. Uh, he was working with somebody over there. I'd just go over there and we'll play on the equipment at night. We'll just lay that song down. Now, if you listen to that one song compared to the rest of the album, it's really clear...
it's like it's just so much clearer and tight. It doesn't have all this <laughs> stuff all over it, and um, right. so that's the reason for that. So that was kind of that whole fiasco, and uh, and then the album came out, and the label didn't do anything in the era of videos and everything else. Yeah. We didn't even get a post. We didn't even get a poster. <laughs> Why? A little and. And little did we know, like weeks later, like what's going on? And our manager was talking. Little did we know that Portra was getting close to being ceased to be, just like Infinity MCA. Yeah. It was getting ready to get dropped out of there. Yeah. We're like, and we didn't know it. So we, our manager asked to get off the label. Well, just let us go and so we can actually go do something. <laughs> and then. Like, you know, a week later, portrait, no longer, you know. Like, yeah, oh. yeah. So uh, that was my second label ending uh, story. That's got to be rough. Uh, yeah, so that's what happened. But we kept, continued touring and playing until that all fizzled out. We kept making demos, really good demos. Once again, it's like, yeah, well, CBS wasn't doing anything with you. Why do we want you? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was that kind of weird. And uh, we added a fourth guy for a while. And then it, years later, we just kept playing and making money. And we were always a really good live band, always made money, and always always were in demand and can, did opening slots. And we were still with our manager, Chief Trick's manager. So we were doing okay. cheap trick shows, doing cheap trick shows or whatever shows he would find. Hey, you guys are going to play with so-and-so. All right, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh kept us busy, all doing stuff. Okay. Then, uh, sure. then eventually sure. we made a third one. And then it came to an end. Um, and what have, what do Rob and Graham do now? Graham is such a great singer. Why is he not? I don't, maybe he is, and I just don't know. But why is he not out there doing something else? He sounds great. Or he did um, back in the day. Yeah, like thirty years ago. No, um, well, no, he, <laughs> no, he do Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rob and Graham are both. Super great, talented. I love them both, and we still are in touch and talk to each other. But uh, okay, Graham kind of got into painting more and some oh, painting, exactly. painting not houses, but yeah. like you know art artwork stuff. And uh, and um, he makes his demos. He makes demos and does things. And okay. he had some things that he was playing out live every once in a while, but not very often. And then Rob, same way, super talented. Plays a gig here and there with people once in a while, and um, they're just kind of content doing what they're doing. But they're all they still being creative and play great. And uh, I yeah. just kept going and okay. having my own bands and releasing sure. records. And now, big hello is the next project. Hey gang, let's break in here for a little bit for some business. Uh, I don't want to sound too much like Eddie Trunk, but there is one more. Uh, Smithereens tribute podcast that has come out this week that I want to make you aware of if you care. This one is on Ken Mills's pop exclamation point, a pop culture podcast. I say that because we tried searching for it and I think that's what you have to do if you're not already a subscriber or aware of Ken Mills's pop culture podcast. I think that's what you have to do. So it's pop exclamation point, a pop culture podcast. 
It's on the Smithereens. I was a part of a roundtable with a couple other podcasters, and we just talked about what the Smithereens mean to us. Maybe you're kind of feeling overloaded on the Smithereens these days. I don't know. But if you feel like checking that out, please do. Uh, okay, I want to get into some requests. Brian Morris sent like a laundry list of requests. And there's some good things in here that I want to mention because they've come up before, and some of these I have some stories on that I wanted to share. So first of all, he mentions ABC. Believe me, they're one of my favorite bands ever. I've been trying to get them on here. In fact, I've had both Mark White and David Palmer agree to come on and then both sort of disappeared. And um, so I'm figuring a lot of this stuff, I'm going to kind of wait until the holidays are over and things, you know, kind of settle in the new year and then pick up the slack on some of this stuff. So that's the deal with ABC. Level 42. Interesting you would mention them. Stay tuned. I guess that's all I'll say. It's uh, it's an uncanny coincidence that you would mention them this week of all people. Stay tuned. That's what I'll say. Peter Mulvey. He's a folk singer or something I've never heard of. Sounds like he's a lifer. Been at it for a long time. Lots of albums, so I would have a lot of research to do. Um, according to Brian, there's some interesting stories there. I'm not familiar with Peter, so I would have to really... Um, kind of study up on him. If you guys have some insight, let me know. And then he asks about sort of updates on people he's mentioned before. Eddie McDonald of The Alarm. I've reached out to Eddie at least twice, maybe three times, and never heard back. Topper Heaton of The Clash. I, I think I've mentioned this before. I think he is hard to find on purpose. He doesn't seem to have any kind of social media or online presence anywhere. I can't find him. I went to Dennis Seaton of Musical Youth who we had on last earlier this year to see if he would know how to reach Topper. He didn't, but he recommended that I try and get a hold of Don Letts, who is, if you don't know who Don Letts is, you should. Uh, musically, he was a member of Big Audio Dynamite, but he's made all these movies and uh, documentaries, and he's an instrumental part of alternative music in Britain from the late 70s, early 80s. I've tried to get him on the show and possibly get to Topper through him, and I haven't heard back from Don Letts either. Uh, he mentions Karen Paris from Innocence, Innocence Mission, which is a great idea. I love Innocence Mission. I've thought of them as well, and I haven't done it yet. Uh, he also mentions Mary Fall of October Project. Do you guys know them? I liked October Project a lot. I have thought about Mary. We are Facebook friends. Uh, I even reached out to her once to see if she could put me in contact with someone she works had worked with. Uh, Dave Jenkins is the guy's name. He was like a power popper in the 70s. Um, nothing materialized there. I will say that I've heard Mary on, I believe it was the Pods and Sods uh, podcast a couple of years ago. And they covered pretty much every, uh, every inch of ground that I would want to cover. So whenever that happens, I'm, right or wrong, I sort of... I lose some enthusiasm because I figure, well, the story's already out there. You know, all you got to do is just listen to that episode and it covers the same ground I would cover. And so why do I need to do it? But I probably shouldn't think that way because I'm a fan and I, I could probably, you know, bring my own angle to some of these things. But that's what sort of, that's the deterrent right there. So that actually happens a lot. If you ever wonder why I'm not getting to someone you've thrown out there, that's probably why. Because my thinking is, well, I've heard the story already. I, I don't need to retell it, but I should probably get over that. And then Kurt Smith of Tears for Fears, 
You guys probably know I love Tears for Fears. I have tried Kurt many, many different times. Twitter, email, whatever, and it's never happened. I couldn't even get him to share our Olita Adams episode, and it drives me crazy. I feel like I said this recently. Maybe someone else requested Kurt recently as well. I'm not sure, but anyway, I've heard him on other podcasts. I don't know why he won't do this one, but he won't. So anyway, that's the deal from Brian. Smidge Kirtlebaum. Greatest greatest name of all time, Smidge, recommended The Descendants. That's a great idea. i got to get on that, see if I can track down Milo. And then Scott Webb, who I've only found out after I left Scotland, is Scottish and would have come and hung out with Andy Summers and Yan and Graham from Hipsway and I. I'm so bummed, Scott, that I missed you. He recommended a couple guys I hadn't heard of either. John Kilzer and Tom Kimmel. I think they're like Peter. I think they're these sort of folky types. I've never heard of these people, or maybe I know them and I don't know that I know them, but anyway, so I would have some research to do. So that's the deal with those. Those are the current uh, requests that are out there. Now let's get to some shares. Uh, Mostly it's the same good old folks that help us out pretty much every week. There's Carrie Carlson. By the way, this is all in relation to uh, last week's Bruce Thomas episode, which I've gotten a lot of good feedback on. I think that was a good one. I really, I liked him. I think we covered some interesting ground. Hopefully you guys, if just like with The Cure, I heard from a lot of you that went out and bought Lowell Tolhurst's book. Buy Bruce Thomas's Rough Notes book if you want. In fact, I like that book better than Lowell's book. But anyway, Kerry uh, Carlson, of course, John Pasden, former guest. Glad he shared it. He was the one who recommended him in the first place. As I mentioned, good old Andy Summers, uh, Grown Up Rock and Sonny Pooney helped us out. Thanks, Sonny. Save Rock and Metal, those mysterious people who love us that I don't know, but I'm so grateful for. Uh, Vandal at Curious World, Hub Rigel, Jason Simons, Jay Sabluski, a lot of the, you know, the, the usual suspects. We're so grateful for all of you guys. And if I missed you, I'm really sorry. I, I try to go back and keep track on Facebook and on Twitter of who's sharing things. Sometimes if you share them, but you don't click share or retweet, then I don't know that you've done it. So anyway, if I miss anybody, I'm really sorry. I, I try to be meticulous about this, um, but I may have missed you. I don't know. Now, let me uh, get into some reviews. This one is from B. Linen. I don't think I know who B. Lennon is. This is five five stars. Great conversations and fantastic stories. Thanks, man. Uh, Assuming you're a man. (laughs) I started listening to this podcast to hear interviews with musicians that I already knew that I enjoyed. John does such a good job. Thank you. Getting people to open up and tell fantastic stories that I'm now binging through the entire catalog. Even the episodes about artists I don't really know. That's what I love. I love to hear that. Tremendously fascinating and really provides you with wonderful insight into some really creative people. Thanks for doing this, John. That's great. Thank you, whoever you are. I love that. Uh, Diggity Dog, five stars. Again, one of the best music podcasts out there. Gosh, music business podcasts out there. You guys humble me. I think the best compliment I can pay this show is that occasionally when there's a topic or guest that I might not be 100% interested in, I know that I should listen anyway. I love that. Because I always, all caps, end up enjoying hearing the guest story without fail. There's no no such thing as a bad episode. I love that you said that because in my mind there have been plenty and you guys are supportive anyway. And so I'm sure I'm too hard on myself. Thank you, uh, diggity dog. That's a credit to John and Yan and the fantastic work they do. 
And thank you for mentioning Yan. We love Yan. We couldn't do it without Yan. If you have an interest in how things really work in the music industry, past and present, you should be hustling. I love it. Thank you. Now, one more. Dr. Funny, five stars, new favorite music podcast. This one's kind of long. I'll, I'll hurry and get through it. Most music podcasts generally end up being the hosts playing music they like and talking about it. That's true. I, I didn't see myself as sort of a celebrity that way. No one knew who I was. So I figured I'd make the guests the celebrity. That seemed novel to me. Anyway, seriously, there are probably a thousand podcasts with that format. I agree. Unlike all of those doing the same old, same old, the hustle actually has a point. John takes the old whatever happened to format and goes in depth with some great conversations that don't just answer the age old question, but also one I'd often thought about. When the fame subsides, how do they make ends meet? Nailed it. That's what we do here. The show has a very casual, relaxed air to it. John's enthusiasm for these artists is infectious. It's fascinating listening to these stories and a testament to John's skills as a host that his guests seem very comfortable being honest and open with him. That means a lot to me. Thank you, Dr. Funny. It's a great podcast that I discovered not too long ago when he talked with Robin Clark. That's our number one episode of all time. Who sang with Simple Minds in the 80s. I'm glad I did, and I'm hooked. Thank you, Dr. Funny, for that. That means a lot to me. All right, I think that's pretty much it. You guys know to buy the shirts by now. It's Christmas is over, so maybe you have no need to. But uh, I've posted the link on Facebook. That's the link you'd probably want to use. Go in there and pick up a shirt if you want. Also, I'm going to throw this out there. I am considering a trip to Texas in early April, uh, we have some rabid listeners down there who have invited me to come out and hang out and uh, talk music and uh, do some things, go to concerts, uh, maybe be on their radio shows, whatever it might be. This is not necessarily like a pot, rock and pot expo type thing, but I have no idea if anyone could or would even want to come to Texas in the beginning of April to hang out with me and some other people. But I'm thinking about putting this trip together, and so if you're interested, let me know. Um, there's people I'm going to be seeing otherwise, but I don't know. This feels very strange to even mention, honestly, because I would I would never encourage anyone to spend their hard-earned money to come to Texas to hang out with me, but if you're going to be there or have a reason to be there or want to be there, it would be fun to see you. Let me know, and we'll see if we can coordinate this. It's looking like Dallas and, uh, and Houston... Uh, the first weekend in April. That's all I can say right now. It's being worked out. Anyway, let's get back to Brad. I have to assume you're obviously this, you know, music is so deep in your blood. Um, with each new band, is it sort of like starting fresh with, you know, the world could be our oyster, the, just the potential is always there? Or have you become a little jaded at this point because you've been in two great bands that got screwed eventually? Um I, I mean, I have. I guess. I guess what I'm saying is, I have to assume by this point you're just. You don't know what else to do. There's nothing else you want to do with your life, or would even know how what to do. You love music. You're just going to keep carrying on, doing what you do. And if people will come and people buy records and we can make records, then great. Or do you have like a different plan or more hopes and dreams? Let's see. Yeah, as kind of the opposite of being jaded. I think it's almost. Oh, really? Like, Interesting. It's almost like it's like. Because neither was my fault. <laughs> true, true. Or, or the band's fault. My bands and me personally, and we always, I always got good reviews and good uh, about my 
drumming or my show or uh, songwriting and whatever. And I I know what I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, I know I can still do this. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, be I know I can have success. Hey, if so and so can do it, I can do. It. <laughs> right. No. Right. But it's just like I know what I can do, and I'm capable, and I'm still I'm the Energizer Bunny here, and uh, yeah. And I just keep going, and I'm creative, so you know, you don't want to. I write songs, and I want to yeah. hear them recorded, and I want to go out and play them, and uh, I just keep going, and I put together yeah. big hello and going and releasing records with that and mm-hmm. uh, and on and on. But uh right. yeah, and I always felt like I hadn't I haven't achieved what I know I can achieve. So I I keep yeah. going and people enjoy watching me play and all that stuff. Well I mean you're one of the I'm not one of those people who's smart enough to identify musicians very often with like you know, one strum of the guitar, unless it's something somebody obvious or whatever, like a lot of other musicians can. But there's definitely a Brad Elvis sound, and so I mean, you're one of the best drummers around. What you were saying about how you still have that hope, do you still today have this hope? Like, you know, I I haven't accomplished what I want or what I thought I could. Is there a part of you that thinks if I just keep plugging away, it's going to happen? Absolutely not. No, I'm just kidding. Really? Um, no, no, no. I, the problem is now, I mean, I still think there's other avenues, but there's just no record deals now. Yeah, I, yeah. What do you, what, I I keep, within the last couple of years, I've been like, you know, when we grew up, there's the big dream of, I want to be like, you know, uh-huh. whoever, the who, or yeah. Badfinger, whoever we grew up listening to, or, you know, a bunch of pop, you know, uh, bands and because uh, you could do that and now as of you know probably around 2000 yeah. or so actually handcuffs Big Hello uh, and handcuffs both that's another record label story a major label really? thing again? yeah yeah <laughs> but uh, I mean nowadays it's like so uh, anyway, when we were younger, I keep the stutter here. Uh, when you're younger, you know, when we were younger, I was anyway. That's what you look forward to. Oh, I could do this. Oh, we'll get a record deal. They have record deals. You try to, you know, and they weren't easy to get, but you would try to do that. Now, I mean, what are young bands that are, you know, 16, 18, 22? I don't know how they are. What do they do? They go, oh, we're gonna start a band and we're gonna play gigs. And then we're going to yeah. record some stuff and put it out and everybody's going to steal it, steal it off the yep. internet and I won't make any money and then we'll have to pay for it, like going out on tour in a crappy van and sleep on people's floors. And I mean, I don't know what, I guess the goal is to keep, you know, if you create, you know, part of it is being creative and wanting to play and that's in your heart, but. At the same time, you're just like, what's the payoff, you know? Yeah. yeah. What, what is that goal? What is, maybe we'll be on a commercial. Right, you know, which right. Is, which is not that a bad a thing either nowadays. No. But, so, but what I... Are you, what are people aspiring to? Yeah. What does yeah, it look like today, I guess? Yeah, um, I mean, I I mean, I mean, real, I'm talking, you know, real, like, good rock and roll band, or rock band kids, you know. I'm not talking about, oh, I'm going to be on uh, The Voice. 
Yeah. Or American yeah. Idol. Is not not even there's a lot of people that do it that way. But yeah. you know, and as you know, you know, Sparks would not be on the Voice. <laughs> Or the Kings, no, they would. you know, yes. they, yeah. they wouldn't do well, you know. No, so, and that, I don't even consider any of that stuff. But uh, no, okay, good. Uh, so, but, so other than that, I mean, real rock and roll stuff. I guess you just yeah. you kind of get out there. And there are bands that are doing it, though. God bless them. They got yeah. there, rocking and playing shows right. and touring. I guess it's do your own indie, and you got to do your own indie thing and really work it. You know, I guess. Gone are the days of the right. labels promoting you. And hey, wow, hey, we had a big article in Rolling Stone, you know. Yeah, right. You've got to feel like, to some degree, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you sort of struck gold, though, getting connected up with the Romantics. Because I don't, I'm assuming, this is an outsider's perspective, I'm assuming this is the first, maybe, you've been with them for like 14 years. This is the first really steady, decent paycheck that you've probably gotten in your whole career. And you so you get and you're with a great band that loves you for who you are. You get to play great music, you know? And that steady stream allows you to do the handcuffs on the side and kind of play your songs, you know, and indulge your creative whims on the side. Maybe I'm projecting and I'm way off, but that's what I would assume is going on. I enjoy it. With I mean, I mean, I made money in the Elvis Brothers. For okay, but that, but it didn't last fourteen years, is what I'm saying. And no, it lasted fifteen. Oh, did it really? Well, I guess so. Okay, went from, yeah, you're went right. From you're eight, right. like eighty-one to ninety-six. Okay, never mind. I'm an idiot. Yeah, you're right. You're not an idiot. <laughs> you're a nice guy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. <laughs> when you're asleep, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. So, um. Yeah, that's a good thing, and uh, you know the story of Clem Burke suggested me for the band yeah, and, uh, uh-huh. when he couldn't. Um, Blondie, uh, there's more to the story. Early, how it all even came about is just one of those fate things. But uh, yeah, he got busy with the Blondie reunion was coming up, and and uh, he said, "Yeah, I'm going to be out tour, and I'm not going to be able to play with them." And I'm like, well, "What are they doing?" Well, nothing. You know, like, yeah. like they don't like they don't believe me, but I'm going to be out for like two years. Literally, little did he know he's still touring with them, but uh, yeah. Blondie. Uh-huh. But um, and uh, he goes, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, we just started this new project called The Handcuffs, and but we're not really playing right now. We're just you know working on songs and recording stuff." And a long story. But uh, he's like, "Oh, you ought to play with them." Okay. Out there promoting their new record, they need to get out there and start promoting that record they have out and, at the time. And um, is that well, sixty-one thirty-nine or whatever, whatever that was. Yeah, sixty-one forty-nine. Yeah, I love that album. It came out like in September, and I'm talking to Clem like in November. I was like, "Hey, what's going on with the record? I read a good review of it and the Rolling Stone and all this stuff." Anyway, he's like, "Yeah, they're not really." I go, "Well, I'm around if they want to do some dates and stuff." And then I got a then the Chloe and I went to L.A. So this is quick version of the story and uh, I got a call from him while I was out there so hey what are you doing now I come in try it out and I've been with him ever since you know yeah and I mean I just um, see that as a blessing I, mean, I as somebody who likes you and your music and is rooting for you I'm glad I mean I hope this doesn't sound condescending I'm glad that you get to play with a band that I also really love 
and that that empowers you to continue to do the handcuffs and whatever else you want to do because you deserve to be gainfully employed. I mean, that sounds, I don't mean to minimize it. You deserve to be much more than that, but at the minimum, you deserve to be gainfully employed, and you are, and I'm grateful, and you get to be employed by a band that I care about, too. I That was all meant to be very complimentary and <laughs> honorable to you. I hope it came off that way. Because I do, I just, you know, I love you guys. I'm happy that you're out there. Um, so tell me more about the handcuffs. You're, now, your wife is the lead singer, correct? Chloe. Yeah, yeah lead singer, rhythm guitar. Yes. She's Life. great. And then, Were yeah, you guys, really uh, did you get together? At, and she was with Big Hello. Did you guys get together and that's where the music comes from? Or were you just in the band and then you grew together? How did How did you get connected up? Um, well, I had a couple of versions of Big Hello early on, and then uh, I was up here in Chicago, and Ellis Brothers were just looked like it was coming to an end, and and uh, or at least to the point where I was like, I need to be doing some more of my own songs, and so there was a version. I had a couple versions. Actually, uh, I had a, a guitar player from General Giant was in one of my oh, versions of Big Hello. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gary Green. Okay. And, uh, we were a trio, and uh, that was a good version of stuff. And then uh, they, he and uh, the other guy lived kind of far from us, Chicago, and it just the commute got too weird. And so I set out looking for something else, and um, I actually had ads like in the local rock paper things and what people did back in the day, and um, and uh, she responded, and. Uh, yeah, just like we just talked, and when she called, and we talked, she called the number, <laughs> yeah. and we chatted, and uh, we, she, I didn't know who she was, and she didn't know who she was talking to for the longest time. I didn't, I didn't, I don't know, it was Elvis Brothers, because I didn't right, want people right. calling me just to be in a band, because I was in the Elvis Brothers or something. Yeah. So, but it, it turned out she had heard of us, and uh, like the soul, really, wow, cool. And um, anyway, we always just hit it off great, and musically and she had great songs also and was talented anyway that started up the big hello thing and um i was actually married at the time so i had that had nothing to do with uh we were together in the band a couple years and then my marriage thing had fallen apart for whatever reason and uh we still didn't, you know, I was like, no, I don't want to go, I don't want to turn into Fleetwood Mac here, you know. <laughs> right, right. I was like, I was totally against the one relationship to the next, no. Yeah, and uh, it would have been so easy, but but we were like best friends already, and but it just literally, we for a year or two, we avoided that, and uh, eventually it was like, wow, you know, yeah. we constantly talked to each other, and uh, this and that, and we were just what are, what are we thinking? This is like yeah. actually a really good thing, and yeah. you're always there for me, and I'm always there for her, and so that's how we got together. And uh, okay, we did okay. Uh, what three albums and uh, yeah, a vinyl EP and a cassette, all kinds of stuff throughout Big Hello. That was a good band. Yeah, and then it and then it got to a point where um, it was my band, and then it got to a point where toward the end it was. Her and I were doing everything, and and then everything to the point where it's like, why don't we just? Because I always tried to keep it equal with all the band members, and yeah. 
this and that has a little bit of dictatorship because you kind of got to have a hand, a little bit of a someone to say yes or no. But it just got to the point. It was like, why don't we just do our own thing and together? And put it. so we came up with the handcuffs. Kind of a timeless rock and roll name, really. Sure, it is. And uh, no one had had it, believe it or not. And we yeah. grabbed it and trademarked it. I couldn't believe it. Someone, we weren't even living together at the time. I remember calling her. I go, I think I got the band name. For like late at night, and she did a quick search, and I couldn't find anything. Yeah. So, so we left out with that. And uh, but I was like, because there's two of us, like we're handcuffed together, and you know, the two, you know, we're together, just the two of us. Yeah. So. We're basically the handcuffs, the two of us. But uh, okay. as time goes on, uh, we've had some of our band members have been with us so long, you know, they're, they're handcuffs also. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, cool. And they're probably re- they're probably relieved they don't have to do any of the business end of it, and probably yeah, and pay for anything and right. all that. And we do all the songwriting and arranging and booking shows and. Do you guys but, mostly uh, we, play we, around Chicago, or do you go on tour? Yeah, like that? we mostly play around Chicago. We have played in L.A. before. We've played in New York. We've played in Nashville. Quick drive up to Milwaukee. That's been a while. Uh, we've played around here and there, you know, some other places. But okay. we mainly play in Chicago. And, uh, okay. Not, and uh, the... the Lineup's great, really good band. Working on the new record. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So you've been, I've been seeing you post lately how enthusiastic you are about the new stuff. What What's the story there? When When do you think we'll see a new Handcuffs album? Um. Well, gosh, these things take so long, but we just started on it, and uh, gosh, uh, it's not going to be this year, which is closing in fast, but. Uh, uh-huh. Hopefully early next year, I would think. Okay. There's so much to do, you know. You get, yeah. We got five songs tracked, and then we're still dubbing stuff. We just started. We've got to dub all this stuff, and then we got eight more songs I'm going to lay tracks down to in the next couple of weeks. And you got to dub all those, and then you got to mix it, and then you got to master it, and then you got to get album covers, and you got to print the stuff, and you got to get... <laughs> So it's all it's all in photos or whatever you're gonna do, all the big undertaking. So yeah. that'd be early, early sometime next year, spring maybe. Okay. I don't know. Okay. It's sounding great. I mean, Good. every time I, every time we make like our first album, it's like wow, we're really proud of this album. It did well and got a lot of licensing, some songs and things. And Good. Second album, wow, really proud. Of, wow, this is better yet. Good reviews. Third album. Oh, this is the best thing I've ever recorded. You know, so 
I, I, and I've done a lot of recording. And anyway, those new stuff were like, man, this totally rocks. This is going to be so great. This new album. So we're so excited about it. And uh, good. And uh, that's all part of my entire lengthy history. I'm still excited about. It's like, good. yeah, songs are okay. They're okay. You know. I'm like, yeah. wow, this is great. I want people to hear this. They're going to be yeah. totally knocked out. You know. I'm still like psyched, and and the band is like. Good. Yeah, put us with anybody. Yeah, we'll we'll rock yeah. them, man. We're That's great. Really good time. So I'm still doing it, and here I'm, I'm going to be 94 next week. No, I'm just kidding. But, yeah, um, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, and then how often do you? Go, I mean, the romantics seem like you're playing all the time. I'm off right now. Usually, oh, yeah. spring all the way through summer with all the festivals and craziness uh, goes. It's usually April, May until um, early September is the main, like, every week, you know, like a bunch of shows. Okay. Bam, bam, bam. It gets to the point by September, you're like, uh, okay. I'm looking out the plane, the airplane window going, uh, how much more, you know? Yeah. It, it kind of gets to you after a while, and I'm not 22 anymore. Yeah. But, um. We go out there and give it an our all. We totally rock. And uh, like we played a festival and um, this giant festival was this big lineup uh, in Belgium in August. Huge oh. festival and it was, it was like all these '80s bands, but it was giant. It was like Boomtown Rats and it was great. And uh, all these bands were. But uh, we played and the promoter guy. We were out there just rocking and rocking it, and uh, we got it off, and he goes. Finally, a rock band. <laughs> nice. You guys got to come back next year. You guys are just totally rocking. It's so feels so good to hear a band rocking, you know. Yeah. It's uh, so that they have that going, and uh, yeah, we deliver it. And, uh, it was fun playing with them, and uh, yeah. uh, the Hank. I always say you were saying before you were saying, oh, this must be cool. You're the Romantics, and you get the side thing, the handcuffs. I always say my main thing is the handcuffs, and I got this side thing called the romantic thing. Okay, good. Because it's, it's not really my band, but I've been, yeah, and I've been with them so long, and yeah, I'm playing all their songs, and I'm going nuts up there and doing my thing, and they love me, and I love them, and uh, but you know, my heart is with my own got it, painting, my own yep. painting, or whatever you know. Yep, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for talking to me, Brad. I. Um, I've had a fascination with you for a long time, and I'm really grateful that you gave me some of your time. And hopefully I can turn on a few new handcuffs listeners, if nothing else. But you're somebody who gets requested a lot, and so um, I'm, I'm glad that we get, I get to participate in putting some of your story out there. There you have it, Brad Elvis. So much good music. Thank you, Brad, for talking to me. But what an amazing drummer. And then all this great music. And i got to be honest, a lot of it's kind of hard to find. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, if you're like me and you collect CDs, you're kind of SOL on some of this stuff. Not the newer stuff, but the older stuff. Um, it's hard to find. It's expensive, all those kinds of things. But good luck. It's There's so much great stuff. Plus, he's one of the best drummers ever. Uh, we kind of gave short shrift, unfortunately, to the band Big Hello that I mentioned. So I want to close it out with an excellent Big Hello song. It's called Video Star. And a huge thanks to BJ of Rock and Roll for the request. If you guys do not listen to Rock and Roll, you should. Go in there and find it. He is excellent at what he does. 
plays all kinds of obscure rock, heavy metal, power pop, new wave, whatever, and tells great stories about the people behind the music. So I highly recommend it. Uh, next week, quick teaser. This one's going to be interesting. This guy was a member of a group, sort of more of a duo. This is another listener request, by the way. They had one gigantic hit in the mid-80s, and that's it. One album, one hit song, never heard from again. Uh, but everyone knows this song. In fact, their one album hasn't ever even come out on CD, so it's super obscure, and yet everyone knows the song. So I'm excited for you to hear it. Hopefully you like it. But that's what's coming up next week. Huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Yan the Man Makevich. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. We're so grateful for you, and we love you so much. You're so good at what you do. Thanks, Yan. And you guys know the business. By now, you can find me on Facebook. Us, I should say, on Facebook. You can like our page and send us a message on there. You can email us at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Uh, we put out new episodes every Tuesday. If you're new, we've we've attracted a lot of new listeners thanks to the Stuck in the 80s and the Pop Podcast and all these other things that I've been doing lately. So if you're new, this is what we do. We tell the emotional, psychological, and financial impact of brief rock stardom, however brief or long that might be. Those are the stories we tell. So welcome, keep in touch, and keep listening. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next Tuesday.